You are listening to Venture Church Podcast. For more information, visit jointheventure.com or facebook.com slash jointheventure. We hope you enjoy. And there is a spiritual struggle that's happening. It's the battleground of life. And throughout the book of Ephesians, our author, his name is Paul, he writes about what God is doing about this battle. That he has indeed stood up for us and given us tools to overcome. And so we're going to be looking at that for about the next five weeks. I started out talking about identity and identity theft because in this spiritual battle, one of the biggest tactics that the evil will use, I'm talking about Satan, I'm talking about demons, I'm talking about the evil forces in this world. Yes, I believe that those are real. The Bible teaches about them. Jesus talks about them a lot. He experienced it in his life. And so there's these evil forces in our life. And I believe one of the tactics that they use to get at us and to pull us away from God's plan for our life is identity theft. But I'm not talking about physical identity theft. I'm not talking about like getting your social security number and like purchasing a, a timeshare in Tahiti. Like that's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a spiritual identity theft. Because if Satan can get into our heads and if he can get into our hearts and he can make us believe something that's not true about who we are, then we can never become who God wants us to be. Because at our core, we don't even believe that. Maybe you've heard of a, uh, a scam called phishing. Phishing with a PH. You ever heard of that? It's part of an identity theft scam. Uh, it, it's a broad category of theft, but the way that it works is uh, basically you'll get a, an email, a phone call, a text message, some form of communication. And it is someone posing as a legitimate business, and their goal is to get personal information from you and misuse it to get your money. You've been a part of this. I've I, I seen this in two different ways. Uh, there, there's kind of the positive way that you do it, and then there's the negative way. The positive way can be somewhat humorous. I went through my spam folder th- this past week, which I never do. Uh, I don't recommend it. It's scary what's in there. Um, but like, so I go through my spam folder this way to see if I recently had a phishing scheme in my inbox, and turns out I had lots of them. And I want to read one to you. It'll be on the screen. You can follow along. So first of all, I love how he starts this letter. It starts out like this. Dear friend. Oh, wow. This guy knows who I am. He's my friend. I am Mr. Noel, or Noel. I'm going to say Noel McGrath, a financial consultant in UK. You may notice some grammatical errors. These are all original, okay? I am contacting you in respect of my late client fund, 12.7 million British pounds deposited with a bank here in UK, which is about to be confiscated by his bank slash British government. You know how they are. After many years unclaimed, I decided to contact you because you bears the same name, last name slash surname with him. (laughs) Kindly indicate your interest by, now I'm so glad he gives me this next part in case I want to do it, uh, by full name, sending me your full name, age, marital status, postal address, job slash position, and a copy of your driver's license. But listen, this last part really made me feel good. Check this last little line out. It says, you will be entitled to 50%, 40% for me, and 10% to defray all costs. This last sentence really set my my mind at ease. You should be rest assured that this is 100% risk-free and also free from any scam slash fraudulent act. Yours sincerely. Yeah, so I totally, I'm totally doing that. 12.7 million UK British dollar in reserve for client. Um, That's fishing, okay? That's fishing. And so, like, oops, some of you are like, shoot, so you're saying I shouldn't have sent a copy of my driver's license to Noel McGrath? Uh, Yeah, you want to track that down. That's not cool. Um, 
that's a, that's a positive spin. They want to make you believe something positive and encouraging. Well, I could get some money. And so I actually found some really funny ones in my inbox. Sometimes the, the themes, though, are more negative. They're more threatening. And so I saw one, Pat, recently that said this. It said, I know about your affair. I've got pictures to prove it. Send me money or I'll post pictures on Facebook. Yeah, some people were like, I don't know who you are, but where do I send the money, <laughs> you know? Like, fortunately, I, got, I saw that, and I was like, yeah, I got nothing to worry about there. But that's a negative thing. They try to play on our fear and get money out of it. It's, it's fishing, it's a scheme, and it's something playing with your identity. And the whole idea is to make you believe a lie so that you'll do whatever the thief wants you to do. But fishing is an attack that can not only happen in our physical and our financial world. Fishing is an attack that happens all the time spiritually. Where the thief wants us to believe a lie so that we can accomplish his purpose. This is how fishing works in the spiritual world. And sometimes it's very subtle. It's when a teacher, a well-meaning teacher probably, a teacher in a classroom, tells a student over and over again and begins to show frustration that the student is just not getting this math assignment. The student hears that, but then what what he begins to believe is, I guess I'm stupid. I guess the other kids are better than me. I guess I'll never get this. I'm sure the teacher never intended that to happen. But fishing has begun. Identity theft has set in. That affects what he believes about himself and therefore his identity. The, the daughter that is told by her well-meaning mom that, hey, honey, you're looking a little chubby today. She might have been joking. She might have really been you know, concerned about the girl's health, but what does the girl believe? For me to be beautiful, I have to be this size and this weight. And for my mom to respect me and love me, I have to look like this and do like this. It's a lie that affects her identity. Or a student that's told by a coach that, man, if you don't play on the next level, like if you don't make the middle school team, the high school team, the college team, if you don't go to the pros, man, that's a waste of God-given talent. And then the poor guy breaks his knee and has to have crazy surgery and his career's over, but then he believes, man, without sports, I'm nothing. What can I possibly do? With my life. And those are some negative examples. But just like in the other fishing scheme, there, there's the positive examples. Many people believe that because they've been told so often how smart they are or how beautiful they are, that they believe this lie that I'm better than everybody else. I can, I can self-maintain. I can do this all by myself. There's a constant message in our culture that says, if you have enough money, then you're somebody. And so some people get to the point where they have enough money and they believe, I don't need anybody. And these are all lies that affect our identity and what we believe about ourselves. It's a scam, and the thief will use it, the enemy will use it to affect us spiritually so that we believe a lie about our identity, and we can never become what God intends us to be. The things we begin to hear about ourselves begin to affect what we believe about ourselves, and this is where it's crucial when it gets to this battleground concept. It's this place, our identity, that is ground zero for the battle. Because if out the gate, the enemy can make you believe that there's no chance that you could ever win, the battle's already won. No battle needed. So as we start this series through the book of Ephesians, what I want us to understand, guys, is that God has an identity for you. I want to issue this this phrase. I didn't make it up, but I believe it and I love it. This phrase, that if we can begin to internalize, it will dramatically affect our spiritual life and how we interact with God. And and this is the phrase, that your identity is received, not achieved. Your identity is received, 
not achieved. In other words, identity is not something that you have to work for. It's not even something that you can achieve because of your merit. Like You don't just get to earn who you are. Instead, identity is something that's given to you by God. He says, I name you. I call you out. I give you purpose. Identity is not received. I'm sorry. Identity is received. It's not achieved. In fact, when it comes to our spiritual identity, just chew on this for a second. Your achievement is actually because of your identity. Like when God makes you somebody, man, what can you do as a result? So what I want to do is I want to jump into the book of the Bible that we're going to be studying for the next several weeks. I want you to be aware of a resource uh, to, um, if we just put that up there, is there the image of the identity theft book? Uh, A lot of what we'll be talking about in this next week uh, is going to come from um, some material that I found, a book called Identity Theft. Uh, There's a, a church out in Phoenix, Arizona called Christ Church of the Valley. And they're a church of like 20,000 people. It's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's crazy. It's awesome. But it's like, wow, how do you even sit in a crowd like that? I don't know how it even works. But um, they have some great resources on their website, ccvonline.com. And uh, they did a series through the book of Ephesians that they called Identity Theft. And they also produce a companion book to go with the sermon series called Identity Theft. It is free. It's available on iTunes. If you look under books, you can search for Identity Theft. It's free. Please get it right now. It's a really short little book. I think it's like less than 20 or 30 pages. You could read it. And it covers the entire book of Ephesians from a very scholarly standpoint. Dr. Mark Moore has written it, and he's done a really good job with that. Uh, You can also find it on on our website if you go to jointheventure.com and go to our blogs. Uh, The most recent blog has a link to where you could download that. Uh, I want to tell you one last thing about this little manual too. It is an interactive ebook. And so throughout the book, there are portions where the author will be talking about something, for example, in the city of Ephesus, and then there's a little icon you can touch, and it'll blow up like a picture or a video or some extra information. Very cool thing, good learning tool. I believe that the greatest way for you to get into the Bible is for you to self-educate, like open that thing and just read it. And so as you hopefully will be reading through the book of Ephesians with us together, grab this little tool and read it along with the book. It's great. And because we're not going to study every single verse in the book of Ephesians, but this book does cover them. And so... Please grab that today if you would. We'll be in the book of Ephesians. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in chapter 1. Let me say a little something about Bibles. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, make sure that you grab one before you leave today. We give away free Bibles. There's some that are they're scattered right underneath your seats there. You can also grab one back where the coffee was. We'll also have verses on the screen. And feel free to use a digital Bible on your phone. Uh, there are several free ones that you could get through the, any app store that you use. The book of Ephesians. Written by a guy named Paul. Paul had been a persecutor of the church. In other words, he was a guy who went around literally killing Christians for what they believed because his faith was so strong in what he believed. But then he had an encounter with Jesus that changed his life. It actually transformed who Paul was as a human being. And in that process, God comes to Paul and says, Paul, I got a job for you. Paul becomes the biggest voice for Christianity in the world. In fact, the majority of the New Testament of the Bible was written by Paul, a former persecutor of the church, someone who was transformed and convinced by Jesus and then becomes the greatest missionary to ever live. And the book of Ephesians was written to a city uh, called Ephesus. Ephesus is on the, uh, the western side of what is modern day Turkey. And uh, you can actually still visit there today. There's ruins of the old place and then there's a new place a little bit further off. The city of Ephesus, we're going to talk a lot more about that next week as we get into chapter 2. But just understand, this is a city that was by no means a Christian city, okay? They they worshipped idols, they did all kinds of crazy pagan activities and and ritual sacrifices and crazy things with children, and it, it was wild. And we're in the city of Ephesus, and what happens is Paul writes this letter to Christians who are living in Ephesus. And he basically says, listen, I understand this battleground that you're living in. 
Let me give you some instruction from God on how you can live through that. And in chapter 1, he deals with what I want to call identity, spiritual identity. We're going to be in chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 3 through 14. But let me tell you one more thing before we start reading. This is crazy. I don't know if any of you are like language nuts. I love languages. I love seeing how they interact with each other and how they change through history. Uh, But this passage we're going to read is Ephesians chapter 3 through 14. You do your math. That's 11 verses of Scripture, right? What's crazy is it was originally not written in English. You, you might have figured that out. I might have knew that. But it was actually originally written in, in first century Greek, a, a style of Greek called Koine Greek, which is just like street language Greek, the same thing like we do with English. It's not like official, uh, fancy Greek. It's just like the everyday's language of Greek. The crazy thing about this passage is that this verse that we're about to read, 11 English verses, is one Greek sentence. It is the longest sentence in the Bible. I have to tell you that because I think that when Paul got going on this thing and he starts identifying who we are in God, like he didn't even come up for a breath. He was like, <gasps> and then he just writes and writes and writes. So we're going to read this together. It's kind of long, so I want you to follow along. And I've, I've got some tools. Do we have the underlined passages on there? Did it make it in the copy over? Did we put the first verse up. Let me just text it. All right, I want to make sure that's up there because otherwise it would be confusing. There's some, some words that are underlined. And if you would read those together with me, all right, we're going to interact together. It's a long passage, and so when we get to these verses, if you want to, feel free to read along. Let's do this. Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 3. Ready? Go. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You got it. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Next one. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed In Christ, to be put into effect when the time reaches their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Next one. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. (gasps) That was all one sentence in Greek. I'm just thinking like some periods, like some space bar, I don't know. In that passage, the, the words that I underlined, there were nine of them. Every single one of those phrases that I underlined were some form of the phrase, in Christ or in him. Because the point that Paul is making when he starts talking about our identity and who God calls us to be and what we can be is this, that all of that takes place within the context of in Christ. It is in Christ that we can find identity. Now, I know there are a lot of you in the room today who would say, yes, that's where I seek my identity. I try to find it in Christ. You might be here today and you're like, yeah, I don't know. I came with a friend. I'm here for the first time. 
I'm not ready to throw my, my chip into, into that hat and say that I'm totally in Christ. I want you to know that's cool. Just hang on and listen. We've got some more that, you, that you're hopefully going to want to really be drawn to. But the idea is this. Our identity is received in Christ. It's not something we can achieve. In fact, if you find your identity anywhere else except for in Christ, you will have an identity crisis. Because nothing else can truly fill us and fulfill us and give us our purpose in life. There are these voices that play in our head. For some of us, it's literal. For some of us, others, it's, it's, it's kind of more, uh, more just a, a figure of speech to say that we have these voices playing in our head. But all the time, we hear these messages. All these times. And, and the messages that we hear are things like, you're a failure. You'll never be good enough. Uh, you'll never make enough money. You'll never make them happy. You'll never be what you want to be. You'll never achieve your goals. And that's the negative side of the fishing scam. On the other side, it's like, you got it all under control. At least you got your good looks. At least you're not as bad as that person. At least this. At least that. But on both sides of the argument, what's happening is there's this message playing in our mind, and it's starting to form an identity about ourself. In fact, I would go as far to say, and I don't think that there would be any, uh, any therapist that would disagree with me, I think that our identity began to be formed very, very early. It was the things we heard early and often, over and over, about ourselves that we begin to take in and go, oh, is that who I am? Oh, it must be who I am. And these messages play. Here's all I want to suggest today. We're going to break down that, that 11 verses, that really long sentence. And I want to find that there are at least three solid concepts. That what we can do is, as we hear those messages play in our, our mind, we can press play on God's word. And let that message play into our mind and begin to drown out any other message that's trying to lead us to any other identity. So what I want to do is I want to press play on God's word. We're going to let it speak for itself and take a look at what I think are three awesome ideas that define our identity. That is, by the way, received, not achieved. The first thing that we receive is this. I am chosen. You press play on God's word. And if you read that whole passage, you see that a couple different times. I am chosen. In fact, if you would say today that you're in Christ, I want to invite you to repeat this with me. Let's say this together. Say, I am chosen. Let's go. I am chosen. I think that there is something deep inside of us, like almost instinctively, that we, we crave to be chosen. For me, it takes me back to fourth grade. LV Street Elementary School. Rob, you know about LV Street? Yeah, we're from the same hometown, man. That place was ghetto, but I went there, man. And uh, LV, LV Street Elementary School. I remember LV Street Elementary School. It was PE. It was like recess time. The PE teacher was in charge. And we're out there, and he picks the coolest two kids. It was never me. And they get to be the two team captains for whatever game we're about to play. Football, kickball, soccer, whatever game is going to be. Picking teams. Now, if everyone's been in that moment, right, picking teams, and, and, and instinctively, every single one of us has one message that goes through our mind, maybe two, but I think one. The one message is, ooh, pick me, pick me, pick me. Or there's the other message, which is, just don't pick me last. Please don't pick me last. Whatever you do, pick me before Tommy. Like, if, I do not want to be after Tommy. Sorry, Tommy, wherever you are. No one will be picked after you, all right? Uh, so everyone wants to be, they crave to be chosen, right? I remember in middle school one time we had this dance, and um. I don't know what he was thinking. The DJ gets on the microphone. He's like, all right, ladies. This is ladies' choice. Ladies' choice. All right, ladies, go around and pick you a fella to dance with. Now, we're like seventh grade boys. We're like, I don't even know what to think about this. I am totally confused right now. But also, you're thinking, I hope that the girl that I like picks me. Ooh, and you're looking, and they're picking, and the one you like, you want. You might be wondering, like, if I got chosen, I just don't see how that's relevant. All right? You mind your own business. Everyone instinctively wants to be chosen. And by the way, uh, 
it feels good, doesn't it, to be chosen. The point is, when, when God looks at us, he says, I, I choose you. Let's look at that little passage, verse 4 and 5 of this long sentence. It says, for he chose us in him, there's in him again, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He chose us. Look at how this breaks down. It says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship. Wow. You want to talk about identity? God says, I want you. I choose you. A couple of things about this choice, too. We can just leave this verse up here. I've got it underlined in yellow. The motive behind God's choice, what was it? Was it did somebody twist his arm and like, all right, no one picked Tommy, so pick him, right? No, in love. And this word love is awesome. I love the Greek language because it's very descriptive. And there's so many different words for love. And let me just tell you about this word love here. When you look at it in the context, this isn't like a chick flick, Matthew McConaughey needs to put a shirt on kind of love. All right? This is the kind of love, like this is saving private Ryan. I've got bullets flying over my head to go rescue your tail kind of love. This is God's sacrificial love. In love he chose us. To be predestined to sonship and adoptionship. Uh, let's talk about the word predestined because that, that word can maybe stir up some confusion depending on what, what kind of church background you have. I love this word. It's a great Bible word. It basically means that God knows ahead of time. God predestined, of course he did. He knows in advance. And it's talking about God's advanced knowledge. Now think about this. That God chose you before, he even, before you even knew him, God chose you. Before you knew all the bad stuff you did and you could begin to tell yourself all the reasons why God couldn't possibly love you, God said, no, I know that. I predestined this. If you will accept me, I choose you. And it's not just any choice. He's not just picking us for the kickball team. In love, he predestined us for adoption. We've got some families in our church family here who have, who have adopted children. I've got adult friends who were adopted as children, and adoption is a special thing because something, something amazing happens. You weren't in my family before, but now you are. Oh, man. And, and like something really cool happens in, in, in U.S. international adoption. Not only do I take you out and you weren't in my family, but you become in my family and you become a citizen of my nation. And I couldn't think of a more beautiful picture of what being chosen by God is. Adoption to sonship and daughtership. Because not only do we get to join his family, he says, I make you a citizen of my kingdom. And you can come be a part of this, and I chose you. In adoption, like, there are no accidents. Oops, we adopted this kid. Biological children, eh, not so much. <laughs> right? But in adoption, I choose you. I want you, not just in my team, but in my family. God says, I choose you. In love, to be my son and my daughter with all of the rights hereunto, as an heir to my kingdom. Maybe your identity has been hacked by the fishing scheme of the, the evil one, of the thief, of the enemy. I want you to know that God, God chooses you. Identity is not achieved, it's received. So press play on God's word and let that message play. I am chosen. I am chosen. I am chosen. I said there were three. Let's get to the second one. I am chosen. The second one is this. It is, I am gifted. I am gifted. Can we say that together? If you want to, say go. I am gifted. 
I am gifted. Now, uh, you think I am gifted, and, and, and the first thing that might come to your mind is that, uh, I don't know, maybe you get to attend a special class at school. I don't know. Or on the other side of that, maybe you have a gift, like you're a musician or you're an athlete, and this is a gift you have. Um, when it comes to those things, I can sing, I can dance, I can play games, I can do whatever. I'm a good worker. I am gifted. I, I want to remind you that these things are achievement-based, okay? And so we're not talking about finding your identity and the stuff you can do. No, it's actually a gift you receive, from the greatest gift giver ever. And so I want to look at the verse where we saw that earlier in our long sentence, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 through 8. It says that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Our identity in Christ is nothing that we could have ever achieved on our own. It's something we've received. It's something we've been given. And it says here that the gift is this. We have redemption through his blood. When you hear the word redemption, that might just be kind of a, a churchy word for you or something that's just like, I don't even know exactly what that means. I want you to think a, a, a pretty simple you know, concept. This is the word you can think of when you think redemption. Think payment. Payment. Like you redeem a coupon, and the coupon helps pay part of what you owe for your groceries, right? That's, that's what redemption is. God paid a debt for us. You know that every time we sin, Every time we disobey God, anything we do that goes against his will, it creates a debt between us and him. It separates us from him. He's perfect. It's not that he's a jerk. It's just that he's perfect and that our sin doesn't combine with his perfect nature. He said, I'm not, I'm not satisfied with that. God said, I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to offer to pay off your debt. And so what was the currency that he used? We have redemption through his blood. It wasn't dollar bills. It was blood. It was life. And that blood and that payment, that hope is a gift. So often we get to the idea that, man, if I could just pay God back, if I could just be good enough, if I could do the right things, if I could go to church enough times, and God's like, stop, man, your bill's, your bill's covered, okay? Just live out the identity that I give you. We are gifted. But that's not the only gift we get. If, I wish we could talk more about it. In fact, next week, it talks about the, grace, the riches of his grace. We'll talk about his grace a lot more next week. But he continues this gift. The other thing is this gift of, of God lets us in on a little secret. Okay, let's read it in verse uh, 9 through 10. It says, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Jesus lets us in onto a secret. Part of the gift that he gives us, as he says, and it's what Paul calls uh, the mystery of his will. Several times throughout Paul's writing, he talks about this mystery of Christ. What's funny is, to those of you who might have grown up in church or around church, or at least had an ear to the ground to what Christians are saying, like, you might be in a place where you're like, it doesn't really seem like that big of a mystery anymore. It doesn't really seem like that big of a, a secret. The, the mystery is this, that God wants to do life with us. That's the mystery. The, the secret is that God has given us a way back to him. Like, that's the mystery. That's the secret. And so to those of us who may have heard it a million times, it might be like, I don't know, that's not really that big of a deal. But just imagine, imagine for once. For those of you who are, who are so church that we're desensitized to what life is like without God, just imagine for a second. You're in a life where you feel hopeless, where you feel alone, where you don't think that there's any hope beyond yourself. And if I can't even just pay this paycheck, then what is the point of living? And then you discover that not only is there a God, but he wants to have a relationship with you. Is that not the greatest secret in the world? And so the whole goal of Christianity is to take that mystery and to explain it to the world. 
And that's the gift that he gives us. He said, you're a gift. I've redeemed you. That's the gift I gave you. That's part of your identity. And now part of your identity, you have that mystery. You have that secret. Share it with others. I'm chosen. I'm gifted. Press play on God's word. And drown out any other message that might be reshaping you any other way. The final one. This last one says, I am secure. I am secure. Can we say that together? Go. I am secure. So you're chosen, you are gifted, and you are secure. It's sad to me to hear some people talk about their spiritual life. This might be how you feel right now. I want to let you know that my heart breaks for you. Like, I'm not judging you. My heart breaks for people who are like, I'm not really sure, like, where I am with God. I got a good friend that I hang out with uh, in town a couple times a week. Uh, he's close to 80 years old. He's getting up there in age. And uh, he was talking this week to me, and he started his sentence like this. We were going to talk about something different. He said, you know, you know, I don't know if I'll get to heaven. Of course, I hope I do, but I don't know. And then he starts telling the rest of his story. And that just hit me right here. I'm like, man, what do you mean you don't know? Here's the thing. One of the greatest parts of our identity that can give us a grounding in this battle of life is that God says, you can know. You can rest assured that God has something for you. In fact, I've given you something. You can't achieve it, but you've received it. Let's look what he gave us. We're going to look at verse 13. In verse 13, he says this. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Did you catch that? Like when someone comes into Christ, spiritually, God marks us. He says, you're in. You're secure. It's a seal. It's a deposit. And it is his Holy Spirit. That word deposit is a pretty cool. The promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit. Uh, if you've ever bought a house or been involved in real estate, uh, you might be familiar with the, the, the idea, the concept of what they call earnest money. You know what that is? It's like a little bit of money that you put down. It's a good deal of money that you put down to the buyer to say, here's some money to let you know that I'm serious about this house. Don't let anybody else buy this house. I want to give you this money to let you know that I'm in. You can count on me. I'm going to the bank, and if they're going to give me a loan, I will buy this house back. In fact, you can keep it. I don't want it back. That's what earnest money is, right? God says, if you're in Christ, I've marked you with a seal. It's a deposit. You know what it is? It's my Holy Spirit. The Holy, if you get, if you get this, this companion book that I was talking about earlier, Identity Theft, there's a good section in there, a little, a little addendum that talks about the Trinity and the place that the Holy Spirit plays in all of that. But let me just give you just a, just a slice of what the Holy Spirit's about. This is God's Spirit, His presence, in a form that our mortal bodies and souls can comprehend to the best of our ability. I, I compare it often to children's Tylenol. Like adults will take adult strength Tylenol. Now kids need the same medicine, but if you gave them adult size adult strength Tylenol, it's not good for them. So they take the same medicine and they put it in a, a lower dose, a lower form so that they can handle. It's not a one-for-one -one comparison for the Holy Spirit and God, but I think that it's something that can help us understand. This is the presence of God in my life. And I'm giving you this as a deposit. What's deposit mean? Oh, I'll be back. I'll be back, but I want you to know something. You are secure in me. Stick with me. It defines who you are. You were adopted. And this deposit is a secure uh, sign of your inheritance. Well, what will we inherit? Well, the Bible talks how we are heirs with Christ of the kingdom of God. That's our inheritance. That means that in this life, what we get is the blessings of God and the fellowship of God's people and, and God interactive in our life to help us with everyday decisions and everyday tasks. 
And then beyond this life, he says, I've given you the riches of eternity. You can be with me in my presence for all of eternity. You're chosen. You're gifted. You're secure. And that's all in Christ. If you're here today, and church and God are new for you, or you're just getting into it for the first time, maybe you don't feel all that secure. Maybe you're at a place where you got a lot of questions about God and you don't even know where to move forward with those questions. Uh, first of all, I want you to know that I am so glad that you're here hanging out with us. And I hope that you will come back. We always say just come back one more week. Come back and help finish out this book of Ephesians and see where that takes you. But I'm going to tell you this. Being in Christ is the place to be. It is the place to find identity. And one of the best ways you can do that is to begin to build community here. Reach out to one person, hopefully the person that you came with. And if you didn't come with somebody, make a friend with someone sitting next to you. They, and if you know, they're, they're antisocial, then they'll let you know. Um, <laughs> stick around. Because the beauty of this whole picture is that God can redefine who you are and help us through the spiritual battle, the physical battle, the whole nine yards because you are chosen. You've been gifted. You are secure. Our spiritual identity has been hacked. You know, it's true. The fishing scheme has taken place. Some of it's positive, some of it's negative. You know, and, and the negative things that we hear and believe about ourselves, about God, can be, can be boundaries between us and God. The positive stuff can, can be a detour that gets us somewhere else away from God. But I think that if we can begin to press play on God's word and understand who he says that we are, it can change everything. And here's what I believe. I believe that when we step into our identity with Christ, our identity changes how we interact with people. Our identity changes our actions. Like if you've got a spouse who's a deadbeat and you're always ragging them and nagging them and all on their business about every little thing, what if because of your change of identity you decide to say, I'm not going to keep filling their heads with the message of what they're bad at. What if I begin to fill them with the message that God loves them? Watch the transformation in their life. If you've got kids, you already know this, you play a major role in shaping that kid's identity. So instead of focusing only on whether or not they clean their room or fight with their sibling or make great grades, what if your primary message to them was, you're chosen, you are loved by God and adopted, you've been given a gift, God can redeem you if you choose him. What if that's the primary message your kids walk away with from you? They might still totally stink at school, <laughs> but they'll know their identity in Christ is secure while you're at work, whether you love your job or hate your job, don't forget that that job does not define you. And that in that workplace, you can be an advocate. We talked several weeks ago, right? I'm on a mission from God. <laughs> and you can live out that mission in your life. If you're in Christ today, step into your identity. Press play with him. If you're in a place maybe thinking like, I don't even know what this is all about and you want to know more, Please come speak to me or speak to someone that you came with, someone that was in the band, someone this morning to say, I'd just like to know more about that. In fact, if you want to, on the, on the, the uh, connection card that was in your seat, you can mark on the back, just write, I'd like someone to call me. I got questions about God. And uh, I will personally call you or someone here will. Please do because our identity is something that doesn't need to be hacked because the battle is real. But so is the kingdom of God. And identity is ground zero for that fight. And if we can begin to adopt and live in the identity that God has given us. He's already given us the victory. Press play. Can I pray for you guys this morning? God, you've given us identity. You've given us purpose. You've given us, um, you've given us a reason to, to be excited about you. And God, so often I, I get dragged down personally by the, the places where I feel like I failed you or the places I feel like I don't add up. And I've got to constantly remind myself that it's not about you, Chris. <laughs> 
It's about, it's about this living God and it's about the relationship we can have with him. Lord, I thank you for this community of people that gather together every week. I thank you for those who have joined us maybe for the first time today. Uh, I pray that they can find some friendship here and some, uh, and some camaraderie and hopefully even um, learn more and discover more about you in the process. We praise you for your goodness. We thank you most of all for Jesus and the gift he gives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.